0: Good morning, church. I love you guys. You guys are fantastic. So good to see you all this morning. I want to welcome our friends joining us online as well as our Edgewood campus. I love you guys, and I'm thankful for you. And it's a privilege and a joy to share God's Word with you all this morning. Um, Last week, if you missed Cody's message, last week he launched Romans chapter 15. And he just reminded us of the encouragement and the endurance in God's Word. It reminded us what it looks like to prefer others, put others before ourselves, and how to share an exalting hope with our lives, being led by the Holy Spirit. So if you missed that, I encourage you guys to go back and check that out. But this morning, we are going to continue in Romans chapter 15, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you do not have a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one. Uh, You can grab us after the service. But this morning, we're coming to the beginning of the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. I love this text because we get to see Paul's heart, we get to see the calling and the mission that God placed on his life, and we also get to see how it actively connects with us as we're called to be obedient, we're called to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and to pursue what it looks like to uh, just have a righteous life before the Lord. Uh, So before I get started, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for your word, how it sharpens us, how it molds us, how it's alive and active. And Lord, I pray that um, you just use this text for all of us today to encourage us and remind us of your truths and your goodness. Uh, Make less of me and make much of you, and just allow this time to be fruitful. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So let's get started. Uh, We're going to look at verse 14 through 16. Now, the beginning of this passage in verse 14, Paul talks about three things, three characteristics, three attributes of a Christian life. So I want to focus on those just for a few moments. So we look at these first three things that he says that the church in Rome is full of. Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So the word goodness here in the Greek is agathosune, which means uprightness of heart and life. It's the same word we see used in Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's the same word used there. We see the word knowledge, which is gnosis. It's the knowledge of Christian living. It's uh, what is lawful or what is unlawful as a Christian and learning from others and studying God's Word. Many of you have heard that word gnosis before. The third thing he says, which is interesting, the first two are something we're filled with. The third one he mentions is something that we have to act out. It's action, which is to instruct, or it's the same word for admonish. It's nutheteo, it's to warn or exert, to caution or to warn gently. Now, I know every one of you love to admonish people, and I know that you love to be admonished. So, we're going to camp out here just for a few minutes on admonishment. This is a very important topic that's for the health of the church, the global church, including our church, and what it looks like to do admonishment biblically and in a healthy way that's fruitful. So let's camp out here for a few moments. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Key word here, be patient with them all. It's God's timing when we instruct and admonish people. Um, if you're, if you're a fixer, you see a problem, you want to fix it quickly, right? So we can get frustrated if we're trying to encourage and instruct people sometimes and they don't move in the way that you want them to move. We can, we can get frustrated, can't we? But it's God's timing when we admonish and encourage one another. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Something I want to focus on here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How can you admonish somebody if you don't have Christ dwelling in you? It's not going to be received very well. And again, admonishing for many of us is extremely uncomfortable, but it takes lots of time and effort to be able to honor the Lord when you're doing it and to honor the person that you're sharing with. It's a core value here in our journey groups, admonishing biblically. We're called to use scripture when we admonish. We want to use biblical counsel and not just worldly advice. We want to address with the right timing. Know when and where and how to admonish or instruct someone. We want to use wisdom and tact. Know what to say and how to say it. And we don't want to just use feelings as our guide. We say that around here all the time. Feelings are real, but they're not reliable. They are your gauge. They're going to let you know if you're hot or cold, but don't allow them to be taken from your action. Move on. A great text that we land on all the time is 2 Timothy 3, three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So the key for God's Word being used correctly for teaching and reproof for correction is to train us in righteousness. That's the goal. Righteousness is simply just being right before God And it's a condition of our heart and our mind that's acceptable to God. Something that's really fun that we've learned in Foundations that Cody shared with us and even on our Wednesday night student ministry, um, if you like to take notes, you can write this down. Many of you have heard this before. But a great way to remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the importance of God's word, when it's proper for teaching, that is what is right. When you say it's good for reproof, that is what is not right. Correction is how to get right. And training is how to stay right. Those are four really neat things that you can use to remember the meaning of God's Word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So let's look backward real quick on this instruction. This very first verse in 14, when Paul says, you have knowledge and wisdom, and you're able to instruct one another. The ability to give instruction can only come from the knowledge that we have, right? You can't share what you don't know, and you can't give what you don't have, right? Right? So if you're giving instruction to somebody, you have to know what you're talking about. And if you're giving admonishment to somebody, it has to come from a place of goodness, come from a heart that honors the Lord. Otherwise, we risk harming one another, and even worse, leading someone astray. And so it all comes to, down to a heart issue. And the uprightness of our heart is the definition of goodness. And so a good verse there is Matthew 12, 34, is out of the abundance of the mouth out of the heart of the mouth speaks. And so we're going to speak whatever is on our heart. And so if our heart is not in line with the knowledge of God's word and the wisdom of God's word, then we're not going to do any good. We're just going to harm one another. And Paul says the church of Rome had these three things. That's what he starts with. He said, you have these three things, and you could even say, hey, we might have these three things as well. But that doesn't mean that it's always acted correctly in every situation, is it? And so, but that's the goal. The goal is to be acting in the correct situation in verse 14 to be a healthy, fruit-bearing church. Paul then says in verse 15, y'all look at verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. And so you find it interesting here that now he's saying, hey, I've written to you very boldly on many things before, right? He doesn't itemize every single thing that they did wrong that he spoke into through the book of Romans. He just says, hey, Remember, I've spoken to you boldly on some things. So he's just saying, hey, reflect back on all the things that, that I've exhorted you on, that I've admonished you on, because I don't want you to forget. How many times do we need to be reminded of some things? We can forget quickly, can't we? So Paul knows, hey, I don't want you to forget the things that I've boldly instructed you on before. He's just simply reminding them because he loves them, because he loves them. I love how verse 14 is an encouragement and then verse 15, it's like, hey, don't forget where you kind of messed up. Don't want to be a negative. Do you like being negative Nancy? So I don't know where Nancy came from. It could be like negative Pete or negative Al, but don't, don't, be, don't be the Debbie Downer, okay? So when we're encouraging one another, when we're trying to build each other up, to build the body of Christ up in a healthy, fruitful way, and, and we see somebody stepping out of bounds, Do we just want to just say, hey, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, and then walk away? That's not fruitful, and that's not building the body, is it? No, we want to love them well, and we want to, just as Paul did in verse 14, hey, you're doing really good in these areas. You have all these three things. Verse 15, but hey, don't forget about the things that I boldly spoke into you before. And so we always want to give positive encouragement on top of something that we want to remind somebody boldly in. So very key to remember those things. I love how Paul did that. So self-reflection time. I love self-reflection. It's how I learn. Is how I grow. How can I apply that to me? How can I apply that to my life? And then how can we do that as well? So what do I need to be reminded of daily and weekly? If you're taking notes, write that question out. What do you need to be reminded of daily and weekly? For me, it's to put God first. Every day, put God first. Um, love and serve my wife selflessly. That's a good one lead my children in a way that is fruitful, in a way that honors the Lord and be diligent in all that I do. I could continue, but we don't have time for that. Think of some areas that you could grow in in your daily walk with the Lord that you need to be reminded of. And on top of that, do you allow others to even speak into those areas? That's very key. Do do other people even know the areas that you need to grow in? Move on to verse 16. Paul Paul continues as he's making this point about um, speaking boldly by way of reminder because of the grace, God, grace given to me by God. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in a priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So who was Paul? He knew his mission. He knew his calling. He knew who he was. Who was he? So he was a man named Saul that persecuted Christians, Right? He had this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus as he's on the way to persecute believers. So he had a mission. He had a calling. He was wanting to destroy God's church. God encountered him on the road to Damascus, blinded him, knocked him down. He found his way into Damascus. There was a man named Ananias. God spoke to him in a vision, said, hey, you're going to go find this guy named Saul. He goes, whoa, 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 this guy's a bad guy. I don't want this guy. He he persecutes Christians. God's like, no, he's my man. He's my boy. I'm going to use him. Go find him. He's going to be here. You're going to lay your hands on him. You're going to pray over him. His eyes are going to come open. He didn't eat. He didn't drink for three days. He was in prayer. He was in a repentant state of mind. God humbled him, and then God said, he's going to be my man. His eyes were opened. Brother started preaching. He knew his mission. He knew his calling, and so should we. And then we're going to continue walking through that, but I I want to make the point of who was Paul. Because he knew his mission, he knew his calling. And so look at Acts 9, 15. This is Ananias having a conversation with God about Paul. He says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Paul was a chosen instrument of God, and God used him mightily. Paul uses the word, nowhere used in our Bible here, when he calls himself a minister in the priestly service. He uses the word, it's here, a Gao, and it's the minister manner of a priest in a priestly role. I find it interesting that he uses that word here because you see how great care that Paul took shepherding this flock of Gentiles and Jewish believers. Paul shepherded them in a way that he wanted their lives to be an offering of sacrifice to God. Just as a priest would sacrifice at the altar. Paul's like, These people that I'm shepherding, that I'm maturing in their faith with God's word and instruction, I want them to be a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord with their lives. And Paul took great care in that. Paul's goal was to see believers be sanctified, just as our goal would be here. We don't call you to Christ to be able to just leave you there. The goal is to grow in our faith and maturity in our faith, to be sanctified. And sanctified is a big word. Sanctification is a big word. It's an old word, but it's extremely relevant. It just means to be made holy. If, if, you, if, you weren't, if you never knew that, that's just to be made holy. We overlook that word quite a bit, but it is spiritual growth in our life, connecting with God, abiding with Christ. A great text to be a, an example for to be made holy is 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, to be conformed, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you be also holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We're called to be holy in the way we live our life, And allow our life to be an acceptable sacrifice before God. That's Paul's goal to the church in Rome. So next question for some self-reflection. Would you say that the offering of your life to God is holy and acceptable? Can you say that? Sanctification is just spiritual growth in our life. So what are some areas that that I, I was reflecting on just for myself? Some areas that I could be sanctified more in? Spending time in prayer. Reading and applying God's word to my heart and my life. Confession of sin that leads to repentance. And then asking hard questions. Everybody loves being asked hard questions, don't they? They can be uncomfortable and they might seem to be a killjoy, but we do it because we love each other. And here are some good questions that we could all use consistently asking ourselves to grow in the process of sanctification. So, how have you loved God? a great question. It's a very broad question, and I'm going to help you with that here in just a minute. But how have you loved God with your life? John fourteen twenty one says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself with him. I was doing a word study over the past month on John 14 and John 15, and I was really just captivated by how many times Jesus uses the word, if you love me, you will do these things in John 14. And then John 15, uh, we see in verse 5, this famous verse that you hear us say all the time. That uh, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, he can do nothing. Well, that word abide in the Greek, the definition is to remain or to be steadfast or to tarry, which Terry was like, man, I hadn't heard that word, really. So the definition of tarry, y'all know the definition of tarry? It's to remain in a place longer to be expected. So think about that for a minute. If the def- one of the definitions for abiding God is to tarry and to remain there longer to be inspected, expected, I had to like break it down even, had to dumb it down for me because I'm just an old country boy. But if, if you've hung out with me much, you know I love to talk and I love to hear stories. And you might not get away, with, get away from me very quickly if we hang out. So here's a very good practical example of what Terry means. So you ever been at somebody's house and you plan on being there for a couple hours and three hours later you're still talking in the living room and the kids are ready to go an hour ago and then you make it to the front door and everything's ready, you gather your stuff and the kids are ready and then you're still there 30 minutes later and then you make it to the car and you get to the car and your friends walk you to the window and the window comes down and you're still talking and the kids are like, the kids are ready to go four hours ago, that's to tarry. <laughs> so many of you have tarried with your friends but how many times can we say that we've tarried with the Lord can you say that? Have you tarried with the Lord? How have you loved God? Second question, how have you served and loved your wife or your husband selflessly? How have you done with that? How have you done with that? Ephesians 5:24 through 25 says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. Friends, Spouses, how have you done in those areas? Christ died for the church. I praise God for how he's done a work in my marriage over the last several years. I praise God for that. That was hard work, that was obedience, that was sanctification in our lives for my wife and I. But I look back, how have I, how have I sacrificed myself for my wife? Wives, how have you served your husbands? How have you loved your husbands? How are we doing in that area? Third question, in what ways have you spoken to or invested in your kids that was fruitful and had an eternal purpose? Friends, I promise you the world wants to teach them. I promise you social media wants to teach them and it has been teaching them. But is what you're teaching them, is what you're teaching them outweighing what the world's teaching them? Can you honestly say that? Because uh, I was reminded recently, which I, I love how the Lord uses things, we have a friend that has a baby in the hospital, uh, less than a week old, fighting for its life. And I reached out to my friend in prayer, and he just said, hey, we're praying hard. We're praying hard, and we trust in the Lord. But I have to be reminded that he was God's first. He's God's first. Our kids are God's first. We were in, in entrusted with their care. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These are all things that we can do in our sanctification process to be made holy where God has us in our life. Friends, we might have a pulse, we might have a heartbeat, we might have air in our lungs. Most would say that that's healthy, but how spiritually healthy are we? how spiritually healthy are we? Because friends, if we don't build trust with one another in our community groups, in our journey groups, in our region groups, in life groups, wherever God has you with the influence, the circle of people around you, if all we ever say is, how are you? I'm good. You're good. Well, friends, let me tell you, there's a lot of good people going to hell. If we don't invest in one another and build trust with one another and actually ask some hard questions that have some spiritual weight and eternal weight to them, friends, that's not loving each other very well. And so may I encourage you to build and establish trust with your circle of influence that God has you in and love each other well in a way that honors the Lord and honors one another to where people are being obedient and growing and maturing in their faith. Let's move to verses 17 through 19. It says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul gives all glory to God for this calling. He gives all glory to God for the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers, the sanctification by the Holy Spirit. He's not taking credit for any of it. He gives all glory to God. We see there that he has, I have reason to be proud. It's not what he has done, it's what Christ has done through him. He's boasting in the Lord and what God has done. 1 Corinthians 1 Paul says, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Friends, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that we had a part of somebody's salvation. It's easy to think that we actually changed somebody. We can't even change ourselves, But when we get to be a part of an instrument of God just as Paul was. And we get to love and invest in one another and shepherd one another. Come along broken marriages. Come along parents that are struggling with their kids. Come along individuals that have sin addictions. And we get to walk through that process with somebody. We are an instrument. We are a chosen vessel of God. And we get to be used for his glory, for his purposes, and it has nothing to do with us. And Paul is saying, hey, we can boast, but boast in what God has done. Paul took great care and dedication to the work that God put before him. He was thankful Some people don't like to use the word proud. Use the word thankful. Be thankful for what God has done. Romans 15, 18, Paul says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. The key is obedience. How many people struggle with their kids being obedient? It happens. You know where I'm convicted the most and humbled the most is when I get on to my kids for something and the moment it comes out of my mouth, I realize I've done the same thing to God. We're called to be obedient. We're called to walk in obedience, that leads to sanctification and that leads to righteous living. I can't explain it any better than this text, so we're going to read Romans 6:17 through22. "But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. y'all can underline that, obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your body, your members, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You can underline that, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end, eternal life. Y'all can underline leads to sanctification. So the key there is obedience to God from our heart leads to sanctification and eternal life. That's the key. It's always a hard issue, my friends. Romans 15, 19 Paul says, By the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. God used many signs and wonders in Paul's missionary journeys to call people to Christ. And it was God that allowed him to fulfill his ministry. The word fulfill there is plero. It's to carry to the end, to accomplish or to execute. You could even say, like, Paul executed his mission. He was trusting in his commanding officer, Jesus Christ, In all of his missionary journeys, and he executed it and he fulfilled it. He led them to Christ, and he's calling them to obedience. He's calling them to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he says, all the way from Jerusalem to Elicharim. Elicharim was the furthest point of his journeys, it's the longest place that he traveled to. It's the modern day Yugoslavia, if you like fun facts. But Jesus used him in a mighty way and led many people to the Lord on those three main missionary journeys. Let's move to verse 20 and 21. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul had a pioneering heart. He loved to go where no man has preached before. I love that. You think of just an early pioneer in the pioneer days going where nobody's been. He's not going where nobody's been, he's going where nobody's preached the gospel. Isaiah 52, 15, he's fulfilling this Old Testament text. Those who have never heard been told and will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's fulfilling this. And what's really neat here is the word foundation. We see it used many times in our Bibles, but I'm fixing to read three texts that it's used in. But before I do, I just want to talk about foundations. Many of you love foundations. Many of you love to see concrete get poured for your home that you're trying to build, Right? Many of you love to be able to see things straight and square. So when you're uh, framing your house and putting your sheetrock up and your trim carpenter comes up and none of the angles are square, your trim carpenter gets a little frustrated. If you don't start square and level and your foundation is where it needs to be, what happens? Nothing works. Nothing. It's chaos. Your house isn't square and nothing works, nothing fits. It's a lot of extra work for everybody else. Think about that for our lives. Think about that for our lives. If if our foundation isn't firm and secure and established in the correct order, which is Christ, our life is chaos. So look at 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Same word used there in Romans. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. And so Paul, speaking, I'm a skilled master builder and I laid a foundation. Ephesians 2.19-22 Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Christ is our cornerstone. You can see cornerstones still today in many buildings. It's what the first stone that was established, and it's what everything was built upon. It made it square, it made it true, it made it straight. So if Christ is not our cornerstone, our lives are going to be chaotic. He should be our firm foundation. I love this text in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We're fixing to read. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest sermon we have recorded in our Bible about Jesus preaching. And he ends this sermon with this parable. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I find it interesting that Jesus bookends the, the longest sermon that we have recorded in our Bible with this text. Hey, build your foundation on me, or it's not going to work well for you. After he, he speaks all those, 5, 6, and 7, he ends it with that. If you look back at what he started with on the other bookend, he begins with the blessed statements. He begins with statements talking about what it looks like to be an obedient Christian, going through hardships or sufferings, or what it looks like to follow Christ in obedience, about how you will have blessings and promises if you do so. He starts with that, and he ends it with, hey, build your foundation on me. That's how important that statement is. He ends the longest sermon with, hey, don't forget to build your foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read that one more time, Matthew 7, 24, where Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built this house on the rock. We want to be a doer of the word and not just hearers of the word. We want to love Christ well. And by loving Christ well, we will have his commands with us and we will actually do what he says. So, back to self reflection application. This is where I can grow from this. This is where we can grow from this. Paul knew his mission and he knew his calling. He knew who he was. He knew what God called him to not just to lead people to Christ, but to grow them to be obedient, to grow them in sanctification by the Holy Spirit in all areas of their life. So, who are you? Do you even know who you are? Because if you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, you are a chosen instrument. You are a vessel for Christ's purposes in all areas of your life. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Well, first and foremost, is to love God and to love others. But our purpose should be to glorify God in all areas of our life. Are you building your foundation on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Is Christ your cornerstone? Is, is Christ your cornerstone? Is he, is he your firm foundation in your heart? Because Jesus is, is the only option we have to have a firm foundation that has eternal value, has eternal purpose. He's the only thing that's gonna allow anything in our life to make sense. He's the only thing that's gonna allow anything in our life to be true and acceptable. Paul's mission was to present people to God that were holy and acceptable. Our mission here is no different. Our mission is to lead you to Christ and to call you to more because God loves you too much to keep you there and we do too. We wanna be obedient. And we want to follow Christ in sanctification work by the Holy Spirit. All that sounds good, doesn't it? But for many of us, we can hear a text like this. We can hear next steps like this. And we can get overwhelmed because we see our marriage is crumbling. We see our relationship with our kids is crumbling. We see our relationships with our coworkers is not healthy. And we see our relationship with our marriage and our kids and all the above. And a lot of times it feels like a big elephant sitting on our chest, doesn't it? how do you eat elephant? There you go. Come on now. One bite at a time. That's my audience particip- participation right there. We eat an elephant. I wasn't going to say hamburger, but I've seen somebody eat a hamburger in one bite, so I couldn't use that. <laughs> elephant, one bite at a time. The weight of this world in our marriage with our kids, our relationships, our personal walk with the Lord... Sin struggles that we have, it can feel like an elephant sitting on our chest and we're suffocating to death. But if we can take one step, we can take one bite to move towards Christ in any of those areas, that's a next step for you and me. That will allow us to see that there's hope, that, hey, things are slowly getting better. We have friends in our life, in our circle, our accountability groups that know these things, that can, they can walk with us. You're not alone to help us, one bite at a time, one step at a time, so that elephant that's sitting on our chest can keep getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Amen? May we be obedient, my friends. May we trust in Christ. May he be our firm foundation. As Paul encouraged the church in Rome, hey, you've got the knowledge, you've got the wisdom. You know how to instruct and admonish one another. May you do it in a way that honors the Lord, that builds up the church, where the church is beautiful. And that it is an offering that is acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. May we be that, church. May we take some next steps to healing in our lives in a way that honors the Lord. Amen? I love you, church. I love you. I truly do. And I'm so thankful to be able to hang out with you guys this morning. Because this text means just as much to me as it may to you. So, Edgewood, I love you guys. Friends online, I love you. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your people and I thank you for your spirit. Thank you for allowing it to uh, just teach us and mold us and shape us into your image, allowing us to learn just how Paul encouraged the church in Rome, what it looks like to have your word, what it looks like to be filled with your spirit, to have the knowledge and the wisdom to understand it and to be able to encourage and admonish and instruct one another in a way that it builds each other up and it makes your bride beautiful. May we take one step towards you today in our marriage, with our kids, with our relationships with others. This week, may we take one step towards you in our workplace. May we confess sin that we've been struggling with. May we confess things to others on how we've had resentment or bitterness or... Um, things that have built a wall between people that we need that wall broken down because it's causing disunity and dysfunction and disorder. But may we seek you, Father, in all these areas of our life, being obedient in them, trusting in you in it, being sanctified by your Spirit. Jesus, we love you. May we show how much we love you by being obedient and following your instruction and your word. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's precious holy name. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.